Andy, can you believe we've almost hit 700 episodes of The Next Reel? I know, it's crazy. And with all the other episodes in our family of podcasts, we are well over 1,200 episodes of movie conversation. It's really pretty amazing that we've gotten to have these in-depth movie chats every week for over a decade now. And we couldn't have done it without our loyal community of film fans. Their support over the years has meant so much. For sure. That reminds me, we should give the merch store a shout out. Buying shirts from thenextreel.com slash merch is a great way listeners can continue to support the show. Plus, they get to sport our great designs. Absolutely. I think sometimes folks forget we have a variety of shirts, mugs, phone cases, and more available. In fact, a great place to start is with a shirt sporting the Next Reel's logo. We also have that classic Fast Times Spicoli Surf School tee, or the weirdly popular Rusty's European Tour shirt. The one from National Hemp Foods European Vacation. Why is that so popular? <laughs> Search me, but we have sold a ridiculous number of those. I guess there are a lot of Rusties taking trips to Europe? We're always adding new designs based on movies we've covered, like our brand new design for a streetcar named Desire, featuring a streetcar named Desire. So if you want to rep your love of TNR and films, head to thenextreel.com slash merch. Every purchase helps us continue to have these weekly in-depth conversations. So visit thenextreel.com slash merch today. And as always, thanks for listening and being a part of the Next Real community. We've got lots more great movie chats coming your way. Andy, it is hard to believe that we have been having in-depth weekly conversations about movies since 2011. You are telling me. Producing this show week after week requires a ton of work behind the scenes. If you'd like to help support our efforts, one easy way is by using our Originals page when shopping for books and movies that we've covered. Just visit thenextreel.com slash originals. Your purchases made through our links give us a small commission at no extra cost to you and allow us to keep having these great discussions. I love The Next Reel Season 4. Do you know why? I don't. Why? Because we got to talk about my favorite movie, Terry Gilliam's Brazil. That's not even an adaptation. Uh, no, but it was such a great part of our, of our great Terry Gilliam series. And a few others in that series were adaptations, like The Adventures of Baron Munchausen, adapted from Raspi's stories, and La Jete, which inspired 12 Monkeys. Oh, right. And, and for our Man With No Name trilogy, we saw how Sergio Leone's A Fistful of Dollars was basically stolen from Kurosawa's Yojimbo. We added Labor Day to our Jason Reitman series, adapted from Joyce Maynard's novel. Oof, there's one we'll always regret. Our big Stephen King series covered adaptations like The Shining, Cujo, Christine, and Stand By Me, great horror and coming-of-age tales. Another Coen Brothers adaptation, too. We got to talk about how they turned Homer's The Odyssey into Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? For our holiday series, we did The Bishop's Wife and The Poseidon Adventure. And who could forget seeing Alec Guinness in the adaptation of Kind Hearts and Coronets during our series dedicated to him. We really need to do more of his films. Truly. We had our first film noir series with classics like Double Indemnity, Detour, and Out of the Past. And our black and white cinematography of James Wong Howe series with The Thin Man, Sweet Smell of Success, Seconds, and King's Row. So many adaptations. Oh, you're not kidding. Dive deeper into these originals and more at thenextreel.com slash originals. Every book you buy helps support our show. Get the full list at thenextreel.com slash originals and start reading today. I'm Pete Wright. And I'm Andy Nelson. Welcome to The Next Reel. When the movie ends, our conversation begins. In just a matter of seconds, you're going to hear a classic episode of this show from back in the day when we called ourselves Movies We Like. 
It took us a while to settle into the show's format, so you'll notice some differences as you listen to these episodes. For instance, it takes us a bit of time to actually get into the conversation about the movie. Things like that. But we're still proud of the conversations about the movies themselves, and we think they're worth keeping in the library. So enjoy these episodes from our back catalog. And you can become part of our Discord community, learn more about the show, and find out how you can become a supporting member at thenextreel.com. So thank you, everybody, for downloading and listening to The Next Reel. We appreciate your time and attention, and we hope you enjoy the show. Man. I know. That's too bad. Do you know Kelly Rippa is 44 years old today? Kelly uh, Rippa. I didn't know that. 44. Sting is 63. Can we somehow tie all that into Saw and its anniversary? No, but I... <laughs> Whenever I think of Sting... Do you know what I think of? I think that he's 63 years old and he's been in a continuous orgasm for 44 years. <laughs> Oddly, as long as Kelly Ripa's been around. <laughs> what, what does that mean? <laughs> wow. I See, now even I didn't go there. I didn't think about that. I just, it was a number that popped into my head. I was just thinking about the tantric, his whole tantric thing. Okay. But uh, you don't know about that? No, no. Well, maybe you need a little therapy. <laughs> maybe I maybe I need to investigate more in Sting's life. <laughs> he's be, I, he's out and and quite proud of his tantric uh, tantric sexual relationships with oh, his with his him. wife. <laughs> <laughs> Not Kelly Ripa. Not with Kelly Ripa. No. <laughs> no. All right. Oh my. Hey, uh, how are you? Are you feeling good this week? It's been a busy week. You know, our uh, documentary, The Joe Show, goes. Uh, Starts its theatrical premiere on uh, tomorrow, Friday. So wait a minute, did I know this? I don't know. Can I now see it? Is it here? Do. Is it's it here? Not, Can I see it? It's not in Oregon. No. So you're it's the be... producer, right? And you couldn't set. Like, how long have we been doing this show? How long have we been <laughs> friends? And you couldn't hook Portland up with a single theater. I know. I, I just I failed you, man. Jeez, failed you. All right, so what are you going to do to make <laughs> I need to make good. What are you going to do? <laughs> Tell you what, just for you, next month, I'll yeah. have it up on Discovery ID for you. How's oh, that? See, I'm not a subscriber of that. Will I, will I have to pay something? Will, some, will I need subscription <laughs> to something? So you're going to set you it up for me, for just, me and only me, and I have to subscribe to some Fricocta cable thing? Tell you what, just for you. Real generous. This is, this is only because I love you, man. In December, just in time for Christmas, uh -huh. I'll have it out digitally where you can download it on iTunes. Oh, just in time for Christmas. Great. One of your closest friends, been doing a podcast for years, and I have to wait till Christmas. No theatrical. I'll be, I'll be, uh, what if I'm traveling? And you know what? It's in Dolby Atmos, so you're really going to miss it out. It is not. <laughs> you liar. Uh, no, that'd be kind of a, a that waste would be of Atmos. A waste of Atmos. <laughs> it's IMAX 3D Atmos documentary about Sheriff Joe Arpaio. Oh, just what everyone wants to see. <laughs> yeah, I think he would go for it for sure. Hey, listen, who is in control of putting the trailer and the artwork for the film on Fandango? Because I will note it's not there. And I have just hearted the Joe show. I've added it to my movies. It's not there. I, I don't know. That's a good question. Again, you, you, your function on this is what? 
<laughs> clearly, clearly not the person who deals with Fandango. <laughs> Minions. Uh, hey, congratulations uh, uh, on that, Andy. That's fantastic. Actually, yes. that that really is great. I know it's a long time coming to get it to theaters, and and, yeah. and one step closer to getting it in my house again. So <laughs> exactly, one step closer. Uh-huh. But um, anyone who's interested can go to Joe Show Doc. Dot com to learn more. Joe, Joe Show. Let's see if you're right. Doc.com. <laughs> you're right. It's there. Phew. <laughs> Don't worry about got, it. I got one thing the right. Site, the site's up. <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh, and it crashed. Kidding. Oh. Kidding. Yeah, a lot of why pink. A... a lot of pink. Yes. Joe in his pink underwear. You know, it's a weird thing. I noticed you've retoned the stripes of uh, the American flag pink. Yes. What is the creative decision behind that? Do you ruffle any feathers by doing that? I don't know. You t- and yeah, oh. it's, you've tainted the the uh, red, white, and pink. No, the pink, white, and blue. <laughs> it's still. <laughs> uh, way to go there. Uh-huh. Yeah, I'm very patriotic. <laughs> uh, let's tell the people where we're from, shall we? Yeah, where are we from? Please stop the madness. <laughs> the sweet release. <laughs> of the credits. <laughs> hey everybody, it's the next reel. Welcome. Thank you for joining us. My name is Pete Wright. That there is Andy Nelson. Hey! And we spoil movies. We sure thank you for showing up and allowing us to spoil movies for you. You can learn more about the show at thenextreel.com. You can join the conversation at Facebook uh, or Twitter or uh, or even uh, Google Plus. Or I'm going to say it out loud, elo.co. Mm. Don't, don't go so there. You, you got it. Hello. Hello, governor. <laughs> Hello, governor. <laughs> Did you, you didn't, I noted you didn't even ask me for an invitation. No, I, no. I haven't, I'm not ready for that. You I'm are, not ready let me tell you, that relationship yet. you are totally not ready for that. <laughs> I can barely handle Twitter. Uh, <laughs> uh, well, it's, you can find me on LO. I'm playing with it a little bit. If you're, if you're on LO, this new experimental, uh, you know, high school social network project, which is, is probably demeaning. Possibly to high schools. Um, you should uh, you should check me out on there. I'm just at Pete right there, and so come come join the conversation. Let's see if it's worth sticking around. Lo, see if it's worth Andy joining Lo. Let's say that. Hello. Uh, thank you, <laughs> uh, thank you. Uh, before we jump too far ahead, to everybody who has jumped in and commented and shared us uh, shared with us their thoughts. Uh, uh, the most important uh, news: Alicia uh, Orfield, friend of the show, love you, Alicia. Uh, actually. Stared me straight into some fantastic uh, triangle glasses with <laughs> angular stems, which totally throw my sense of balance and, and frankly, judgment off. Uh, so I will be buying some of those. Uh, and uh, we have uh, uh, Twitter was the home of requests from abroad this week. Oh yes, yes, we did. We had uh, we we uh, had some comments from uh, the good and kindly Martin. Well, I, now I, I'm gonna I'm gonna butcher this. I'm gonna try it. You tell me what you think, Martin Tilquist. Sounds pretty good to me. Yeah, 
So uh, Martin suggests that we uh, jump into some P.T. Anderson movies uh, and some Wes Anderson films. So he says uh, P.T. Anderson is one of his very favorite directors. And uh, obviously shocked we have done no Wes Anderson films. And we have talked about P.T. Anderson and Wes Anderson in uh, out of context in passing over the years. But we have never done any films. Why is that, please, Dr. Ander- or Dr. Nelson? Uh, you know, uh, accident. <laughs> I'm not quite sure, but we have <laughs> talked about them. We, you know, it's one of those things that we we definitely have on our radar, and uh, you know, with all these Andersons, it definitely seems like uh, we could find a way to make an Anderson. It seems like it. Anderson series. We're going to do the Anderson series. Yeah, we'll have to throw in some uh, of the other Paul Anderson. Yes, and the Matrix again. Mister Anderson. Mister Anderson. <laughs> That's right. Well That's done. Right. Well played. Yes. Uh, and so thank you very much, uh, Martin, for jo- for uh, jumping in the conversation. We really appreciate not only that, but the suggestions of, A, uh, the uh, uh, Christopher, Christopher Triumph podcast, uh, which is an international film podcast he recommends that we all check out. Uh, and um, uh, let's see, there's some other, uh, he, he recommends a lot of cool uh, Danish and Swish, uh, Swiss and Swish. <laughs> Danish and Swish. Uh, oh, man. <laughs> you do it. <laughs> I'm a hot Danish mess. And Swiss. <laughs> oh, going to be a night. Going to be a night. Uh, so we are going to check that out, particularly uh, Lucas Moodison. Uh, there, there are lots of great recommendations in the feed there. So uh, definitely thank you very much. And thank you uh, again to Diego Luis Contreras, uh, writing in from Spain. Uh, so glad you discovered this show. Thank you so much for checking us out and for sticking with us. Yes, you have a lot to hear from us. I, if you've started from the beginning, we'll catch you in about two and a half years when you actually reach this episode. And we'll still be grateful for your uh, participation. Grateful now, grateful forever. Grateful forever. So, uh, what does that mean? That so, means all of those people and anyone else who comments on any of our boards that uh, that we uh, managed to track down are all going to be entered in our listeners' choice drawing, which we're going to be having here in a few weeks. Uh-huh. And, and that person who uh, does get picked is going to get to pick a movie that we are going to talk about in early November. Uh, I hope everybody's thinking about it. We have had really good luck. With these we things, have. So we two really for two. two for two. So, uh, you know, the pressure's on. Don't screw it up. <laughs> uh, now, I think it's important that we turn to, uh, you know, well, certainly why I show up. Uh, this week's Pony Prize, guess the movie Instagram, Andy versus the People Challenge. How do we do this week? This was good, and it was Stephen versus the people this Steven week. Stephen, I see you guys keep messing. I know me. we we like to we get to play with your head a little bit. Standy versus the people. <laughs> Standy, Anden, Anden, Anfin. <laughs> Not quite as good. Uh, you know, it was a uh, it was a tough week for people, especially considering that this was a a fairly uh, recent film, Enemy. Uh, the uh, the na- latest uh, Denis Villeneuve film. Uh, with uh, with good old Jake Gyllenhaal, and uh, it uh, it really took people a little bit of time to figure out what it was. But in the end, Soda Pop Rocker came through and figured it out right toward the end. There, uh, I think day day six, he he finally uh, was able to figure out what this these crazy images were from. He got it, and now Soda Pop Rocker is entered to win the Pony Prize. Awesome. Mm-hmm. Awesome. 
Congratulations, Soda Pop Rocker. Thank you so much for playing. Keep coming back. Keep, uh, you know, next week, school the standees. That's right. <laughs> you like that, don't you? It's growing on you the already. Standees. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And with that, let's do trailers. <laughs> Yeah, I was going to do a trailer that uh, apparently I haven't seen, but apparently it's out. Have you heard of this uh, Space Station 76? I have, actually. I, I heard about that quite a while ago, and it was uh, playing at one of the uh, film festivals. I can't remember which one. But Has uh, it hit wide release? I, I have not heard of it. I, I thought it was like a new trailer. I'd never even heard of it. Never saw it. And then I checked IMDb, and it, it apparently was released in March of 2014. Yeah, it was, um, gosh, I can't remember what festival it played. It was South by Southwest uh, earlier <laughs> in the year, yeah. Well, it looked and, funny uh, to me, so I went ahead and put the kibosh on that one. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe it was stupid, I don't know. But I was kind of in the mood for sort of a space ballsy sort of... <laughs> a space ballsy, uh, <laughs> wookie kind of slapsticky sort of thing. And uh, I didn't do that, but instead, in honor of Martin Tilquist. Uh, I am choosing a Paul Thomas Anderson trailer, Inherent Vice, coming out January 9th, 2015. Uh, it looks, this is, I think, our kind of movie right here. Don't you think? Oh, yeah. Reese Witherspoon, the- Jenna Malone, Joaquin Phoenix, Josh Brolin, Sasha Pietiers, Owen Wilson, Benicio Del Toro, Michael Kenneth Williams, Eric Roberts, Maya Rudolph, Wilson Bethel, Martin Short... Amen. It, the cast just keeps going on. And in 1970, drug-fueled Los Angeles detective Larry Doc Sportello investigates the disappearance of a former girlfriend. It looks crazy. Uh, and I, like many uh, Paul Thomas Anderson films, I'm very excited to see this movie. The, the goofball factor is very high. And, and uh, Joaquin Phoenix, I find super compelling, as weird as that guy gets. <laughs> right. Man, I like watching him on screen. He is a trip. And he is such a trip. The fact that he comes into this one looking like Wolverine. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> he loses the huge beard and comes in with the chops. It's yep. a nice nice play. I like yeah. it. Yeah. It's going to be interesting to see uh, this film. I hope that it uh, it does well. I'm guessing it's going to because it's uh, Paul Thomas Anderson. Uh, but, you know, I still... There's this quirky quality to it that does make me a little nervous. Uh, you know, uh, some, I, I don't want it to fall into Ridley Scott's uh, The Counselor territory. No, that would be a mistake. That would be, be a mistake. Bad, bad direction to go. That'd yeah. Be bad direction. So no, I, I, really, I, I really do have high hopes for this because, I mean, everything about it looks uh, funny, clever, quirky. Uh, you know, just the, the kind of the, the tone of it, the... Uh, just the vibe, everything just... There is. There's a funny vibe to it that sort of takes me back to Boogie Nights uh, kind of a thing, but but funnier. Uh, Boogie Nights got a lot of, had a lot of its vibe determined by the, the topic, by the content. Uh, and, and this one, it seems like it's just... Uh, it, it's naturally more comedic. Um, but he has... It's, there are a lot of his big films tend to be pretty deep. I mean, uh, pretty serious. The Master, There Will Be Blood. Like, this is... He doesn't tend to truck in comedy. No. Uh, so it'll be interesting no. to see how this how this plays out. I'm very excited to see it. I think it looks really... Uh, it looks wonderful. It is... Uh, it's not a comedy. It's a, it is really pitched as a crime drama mystery, but still looks pretty funny. They seem to emphasize the comedy in yeah. the trailer. It looks very just kind of that quirky comedy. So, yeah. 
Yeah. So that's it. January 9th, 2014, 2015. Mark your calendars. Go see this movie. Does that make you nervous that it's a January January release? It does. I'm I'm panicking about every crossover right now. October, I'm freaking out. It's it should <laughs> still be February. I'm not ready for 2015. <laughs> it's coming. Yeah. Well, what do you got? Odd, oddly enough, my movie also opens in January next year. The uh, you know yours, I I like to think will not be in the dumping ground of January. This one, I have a little bit of fear that it is going to be relegated to the dumping uh, ground of January. But at the same time, I did quite enjoy the trailer. And I, I do have high hopes, even though I don't know, <laughs> I don't know if it's going to live up to any of them. This is the new adventure thriller, Black Sea, in, uh, including the, uh, the wonderful Jude Law, who plays a submarine captain who uh, pairs up with a bunch of, buddies who uh, go looking for this sunken uh, Nazi U-boat in the Black Sea that uh, supposedly has a bunch of gold on it, and they're going to make off with the gold and be rich. And of course, as uh, these things are uh, prone to happen, everybody on board realizes that the fewer people that make it back, that means they each get that much more gold in the end. And so, you know, things don't go very well down there. I always wonder why it takes people so long to figure that out. I know, I know. Don't know we're a team. <laughs> it's not. It's not a little submarine utopia down no, there. There's no it's utopia beneath the sea. Not cold, at all. dark death. Yes. Yeah. They've never seen any other submarine film. They should know by they now. Should totally know by they now. Really should know. But you know, I I do have I I, I do have hopes for this. I mean, uh, Kevin McDonald is directing it. He did the Last King of Scotland, which I really enjoyed. Um, but then he also did State of Play, which I, you know, I thought was fairly average middling entertainment. Wait a minute, which uh, one was that? Was that with uh, that the was driver? The very, uh, no, that was the very forgettable one with uh, uh, Russell Crowe and, and Ben Affleck. Oh, no, yeah. Russell Crowe's I, the reporter. Yeah, I, I liked that one, but I thought it wanted to be more than it was. Yeah, I liked it, and then I walked out of the theater and I go, what happened in that movie again? I don't remember. It was one of those movies. Yeah, yeah. So, so I mean, he came out of documentaries. He did some really interesting documentaries. Uh, you know, a brief history of uh, Errol Morris. He did Touching the Void, um, one day in September. A lot of uh, a lot of interesting things. And, um, and then he kind of transitioned with The Last King of Scotland into uh, uh, narrative films. And that one I think is the strongest. I never saw The Eagle, which looked like an it was an mm. early Channing Tatum film that. I heard was interesting, but I never. Yeah, I never saw that either. But the last yeah. thing in Scotland is a big fave for me. Yeah, I really absolutely. Like so you know, I want to like it. I want him to make this great submarine thriller, and uh, you know, I, I'm excited to see it. I hope it can hold up. I hope it isn't just a January dumping ground movie that is instantly forgettable. So, so that's the trailer. All right, nice pick. Nice pick. All right, Andy. It's time for me to tell you how you're going to die. If the future were in your hands. The daughter's screaming. The house is burning. Would you change it? Hurry up! Hurry up! It's not too late. Touch this man's hand and you are in the grip of the dead zone. I've had another episode. Only the imagination of author Stephen King could take you there. With a power that alters the future lives of those you love. You want 
want to kill your own son. I want you out of here. I'm scared, Dad. All of those you fear. I have had a vision that I am going to be president of the United States someday, and nobody, I mean nobody, gonna stop me. Is it a power for good or for evil? If God has seen fit to bless you with this gift, you should use it. Bless me? You're a devil. Send for me. Who are you? Who sent you? I'm scared, sir. Not only can you see the future, I can change it. I was there, I saw it. Put your hand on the scanning screen and you'll go down in history with me. I saw his face. I stood there. I did nothing. She's lying! Stephen King, The Dead Zone. We're taking on the Dead Zone, 1983, uh, David Cronenberg film with the young and handsome Tom Skerritt. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you know, Tom Skerritt, I don't know that he was ever young and handsome. Even in, like, Alien, he was not young. And he was st- he's always been the rugged small-town police chief, right? Yeah, that's that does seem to be kind of his lot <laughs> in <guy>. life. <laughs> Film stars Christopher Walken as the unlucky Johnny Smith, who is a uh, he's a young uh, young school teacher in love with the lovely Brooke Adams, and he gets in a car wreck with a uh, with a looks like a like some sort of a gasoline truck made of a uh, tin can, <laughs> and uh, and he wakes up five years later and has the power. To touch people and find out uh, when they're going to die, when their friends are going to die, when their loved ones are going to die. He can tell the future, but only the really bad stuff. Right. It's tough. That's a curse. It is. How it really the movie sucks. Hold, how did how did it hold up for you? This uh, this is the, it, I should say this is part of our Stephen King series uh, based on the book The Dead Zone, uh, which was released uh, just a scant uh, four years before the movie came out, so 1979. So so now how how did it hold up for you? How do you feel about it? This is a this is one of the Stephen King movies that I, I definitely never read this book. And uh, I saw this movie much later in my life. Um, I mean, not much later. I mean, it was probably high school or college when I finally caught up with this one. And I've always liked it, but it's one of those ones that I, I kind of see it and then I forget it. And I go, what was that one again? Okay, yeah, it's Christopher Walken and he can touch people and stuff and, and see what's going to happen. And there's moments that I remember, like, you know, him sitting in the burning bed and the kids under the ice. Uh, but it's it kind of fades away from me quickly, and I don't know why. I do like the movie, but it's... Um, I, and maybe it's because the, the, the way that the story is told feels very episodic. I, I just never really get connected with the story. Episodic and wildly dated. This, this film did not age well, and it's not even so much the film or the story that didn't age well, and I think that's proof uh, that's proved out when you uh, when you start watching uh, Anthony Michael Hall's take as Johnny Smith in the television series which which ran for some time and was quite popular uh, you know even though it was it was on I think it was was it FX I think I'm not uh, I'm not sure but it was on I, you know and I never really binged the dead zone but it ran for six years and and um, 
it, it was it, it garnered quite a following. And I think uh, Anthony Michael Hall, as a grown up, uh, played the role very, very well. Um, it really lent itself to that sort of episodic feel. Um, this just uh, maybe it was great. In 1983, maybe it was. Maybe it, the performances are what I would have expected in 1983. Instead, I found them just sort of jarring and stayed and um, just generally unbelievable. Even, you know, uh, Christopher Walken that I feel, you know, I generally like very much and his wackiness sort of that comes out in his later career. Um, you, you know, I mean, his his just kind of unnatural sense of grace uh i i don't think we get to see here um you know here he was a young actor playing a role and i i really could could feel that uh brooke adams uh i i did not find uh, particularly compelling as the ex-love interest the only one that i really enjoyed which i thought was ironic was uh, well not that i enjoyed him but his role was ironic martin sheen as the young senator um you know going on to play Jeb Bartlett in in the West Wing as the president. So it feels like his career is sort of bookended by roles as presidents and senators. And I thought that was fun. <laughs> uh, that, that was pretty comical. No yeah, idea. that was nice. So, yeah. but generally I found, I, you know, I'm with you. I, I think you described it really well. It's a, it is not a memorable film. I would ask you of this film, do you ever remember the end? Like when yeah, you think I, about it. I, I, I mean, I, I do remember, like, I, that's another of the moments that I always remember is is Martin Sheen holding up the, the kid. And so, I, you know, it, it's, it's but it's just those kind of moments that, um, I mean, and I, I, I think I may like it a little more than you do, but I just forget about it right away, you know? So it's like, I can enjoy the movie while I'm watching it. I mean, I, I guess I don't have a huge problem with the performances. I don't have a real problem with the, the datedness of it. But it's, it is just, it, I don't know, it's just weirdly forgettable. And I I don't know if it's a, a tonal thing because it was kind of a different type of story that Stephen King was telling. Um, but uh, because it definitely, in his uh, kind of the, the work that he had been doing up to that time there, uh, I mean, yes, there's that kind of, supernatural element of a, a person who gains the psychic ability after this this accident and coma who then can see people's future and everything but uh, but it ends up feeling much more like a drama it's an interesting tone to this film that um doesn't doesn't have that horror vibe from either Stephen King or David Cronenberg both of whom i think had much more of a horror bent at that period of time in their careers. And so this one does come across feeling very, uh, a lot more dramatic. And I don't know if it's, it's that the, the pacing with it also that just kind of slows it down and makes it like, okay, I, 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 I can see where we're going. You know, we've got, okay, we've got this little episode with, uh, you know, the, the girl in the house burning. And then we've got, you know, then we've got the killer and then we've got the, uh, the politician. It's like, it just kind of goes from one thing to the next. And I never feel like there's progression for him or, or anything. It's just, you know, one case to solve after the other. And that's, I think that's exactly what you said is, is right. Why the TV show concept for this worked so well, because it, by nature, these episodes work well in the land of TV. And it was the USA network, by the way, USA network. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Well, another reason, sort of just further up the dial, uh, you know, in 2000, where, you know, it, it garnered quite a, a, a passable 
uh, uh, you know, passable audience. Uh, and, uh, and I think it makes more sense as a, as a television series. It's one of those funny things about Stephen King's work. Like there, there are so many of his books that I think do make better television. Some obviously don't, but, um, you know, the shining is not, is a, a good example, I think, but, uh, Mm-hmm. In any case, um, but what's your take on Christopher Walken, though, as a you know in the lead role? Uh, you know, I guess I don't have too many problems with him. It it just again, it's just like it, it doesn't really stand out to me as uh, you know any major role in Walken's career as one that uh, stands out for me as as a key one. Um, it works. I mean, I enjoy it. I think um, I. I, I, you know, there's something kind of Walken always has that kind of, uh, uh, I don't know, kind of slightly out of step sense about him. And, uh, and so I think that works well after the accident beforehand. It's, you know, I, you know, he, he doesn't, it's, there's something weird about just kind of just seeing him as kind of a normal guy. (laughs) I don't know. And like sitting in the classroom, reading the Raven, I don't know. I couldn't help but laugh knowing that years later he would actually have a version of him reading The Raven that's out on CD where you can listen to Christopher Walken reading The Raven. Um, and I, I really enjoy listening to him reading The Raven, but I, I can't help but think about that when I see that scene. It's just like, you know, it's, yeah, it's, that's almost, funny. Like, it's almost like Walken playing Walken. You know, there's something weird about that. Well, and it's weird because he really, in his as he ages, has become a caricature of himself. Yeah, he just he just gets weirder and weirder. Exactly right. So, and this is kind of the early stages of that. Yeah, yeah, the birth of weird. Yes, Uh, but but you know, I like I said, I do like him. It's weird to see him with a love interest uh, because he just keeps getting weirder, and I know him more as sort of the guy who doesn't generally have the love interest or at least a normal love interest in his films and so you know that's interesting i um i find uh you know um he he just he just doesn't 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 hold the the role for me well and the thing about the love interest at least at least that goes away i mean he, he kind of he kind of clings to that but at least brooke adams kind of fades in and out of the story i mean i i don't have a problem with brooke adams i actually think um if if i were to pick a brooke adams performance in the uh in this kind of 70s 80s i i would probably gravitate to the uh, invasion of the body snatchers remake because i really like her in that one this one it's just like eh, okay i mean and that's how i feel about so much of the film yeah okay you know it it does its job it's i you know i don't think it's one of cronenberg's best films i don't think it's one of stephen king's best stories uh it's not one of Watkins' best films but it's very passable i mean i i can enjoy it and and move past it what's interesting about it is this is another one of those films and i think it's pretty rare that we run across these at least from for me where i really feel this one is ripe for a remake you know, I, it's, they're not going to bring the television show back and ran for six years, let it be a classic. But I, you know, I think 1983 is long enough for a film like this. I think somebody could come back in and make a nice taut thriller uh, that gives us a little bit more of the, the spook factor. That's one of the things I really wanted out of this. I, I think it may be a case where the effects, uh, the the cinematography, which in this film was not particularly earth shattering from Mark Irwin, um, that just the way they move the camera was not to the to a sophisticated enough uh point 
that they could really capture what it's like for him to see these really horrible things, you know, and it made me think of Brainstorm because I, you know, that was a film I, I really liked, uh, you know, when we talk about Christopher Walken in particular. Um, the, uh, you know, what they did there when they actually send you into the brain, uh, into these kind of recorded visions, mm-hmm. uh, I found really compelling. And, uh, and I, I feel like I can't actually remember, uh, that, I think that was Douglas Trimble, right? That was 1983. That was, so that, that was released the same year and they ended up capturing a, I think, really fascinating, um, way of moving through, um, psychic trauma visually in a way that I, I think was, was compelling. At the time, yeah. I at the time, recommend going back and watching it again. Oh come on! <laughs> I actually, I, this is one I, I watch fairly frequently. I think you're being oh, you're, really? you're being a little hard on. I actually well, really I, quite like this film. I think you know it's Natalie Wood's last film, Louise Fletcher. I mean, they're just I, I thought it was a. I, I really enjoyed this film. This may be. I need to put this on my guilty pleasure list for this year. Well, it could be because I mean, yeah, because you clearly saw that that when you were at an age to see it and and you know, pull something out of it. I saw this like uh, five years ago or something. And that was my first time watching it. And, and it just, it was, it was for me, it was a dated experience. Oh, okay. More dated than this. Yeah. Because equally of the effects. Dated. I think because of the effects that to me made it seem a little more dated. They used but. that big tape though. That wasn't that <laughs> great. <laughs> Those giant reels. Uh, big tape. Uh, uh, it's all you need to record the brain. <laughs> that's all right. But you get what I'm saying, though. I mean, this is one of those things where clearly there have been better examples of it. Even maybe Strange Days, you know, as, as little as we both liked Strange Days. Um, <clears throat> there is well, this sense of, of being able to use use that, that leap uh, into the brain uh, and, and do so in a way that's visually interesting. Well, and also on top of that, because I I definitely agree with you, I think there's something that they could do to really bring that, uh, you know, of this actual dead zone, the title of the film, to life better. I mean, the way that they talk about the actual dead zone, and I I don't know. Yeah, you're right. It's like, eh, okay, so the dead zone is, you know, he goes to this place where he sees these visions, um, but the people aren't necessarily dead. He could still potentially change it. So it's the dead zone, but I don't know. There's something about the title that I I find much more interesting in the actual title than in the way that they describe it. And I feel like someone could now find a way to actually create that where there's, I don't know, there's, there's more to it, I think. Yeah, I think so too, because what's it describe the dead zone as they describe it. Well, I think it's just, uh, I mean, it's, it's pretty simplistic. It's just, you know, he, he goes into this vision and he uh, he sees something happening, but he doesn't really see himself there. So he's so, uh, but he so he gets a sense that he can. Uh, it hasn't happened yet, so he can potentially change it. I think is basically yeah. it, right? Yeah, that's my that's my understanding of it. It's it's. I was my son saw the album art. It was up on my screen as I was preparing for this. You know, he's eight, and he says, "Dead Zone. What's that? Sounds awesome." <laughs> and I, t- I tell him, yeah, it really is. It's like when we're on a call on the in the car, you know, we're in the car and we're driving over Sylvan Hill, you know, you know Sylvan Hill, yeah, yeah, I know Sylvan Hill. That's where, his, you know, that's where he sometimes gets a treat. There's a Starbucks there, and sometimes we go <laughs> and get him a chocolate milk when he's particularly charming. And we always lose cell calls there. 
I said, that's a dead zone. He says, and he looks at me and he says, they made a movie about that. I said, pretty much, <laughs> pretty much. That's what they did. <laughs> that's pretty funny. So I, you know, it's a sense of, of having, and I like, you know, I like the intention here and I also did not read the book. I'd be curious to see um, how they handled this, but I like the intention of here's a guy with this powerful psychic ability. And yet there is this way at this place where he goes, where he doesn't have complete control of it. Right. That's his, that's the weakness of his power. Right. And that was, as you say, wholly unexplored in this film. I think it was just an unexploited benefit of his powers that I don't think they they particularly uh, explored well enough. And maybe that's a case of they're just not good enough in the 80s to our expectations today of telling these sort of superhero-esque origin stories. That could be. I mean, you know, we could be suffering from superhero-itis uh, yeah. nowadays where we're so used to these origin stories and, and getting a much more interesting, compelling explanation of things. And, you know, I don't know if it's fair to pin that to this film, um, but it certainly, it certainly could suffer from that. I, I think there's some, there's something to it. I think there's something to it. Yeah. We're, we're going to be unnecessarily hard on the film. Yeah. Something else that I think I was actually reading, I, I read kind of the, the, the kind of a, a synopsis of the book to try to get a sense of what the real difference is between the film and the book. Cause I heard, yeah. you know, in the process of writing the script, they ended up kind of tweaking the script quite a bit. You know, a couple different people had come in to write the script. Um, uh, you know, uh, uh, I think Jeffrey Boehm, who had originally, uh, he had actually originally wrote it when he was developing it for Stanley Donan, which seems like a very strange directing choice for this film. He had done, um, uh, why am I blanking on it? The uh, scene in the rain, right? Uh, you know, it's just like, you know, it doesn't seem to fit anyway. He left and then Stephen King adapted it, uh, when Dino De, De Laurentiis, uh, wanted him to, but nobody liked that version. A couple other people, uh, Andre Konchalovsky, uh, I heard that ended up being like five different versions, five different people writing the script and they went with Jeffrey Boehm's script and he, removed I, there's this whole parallel storyline in the book and reading through this plot synopsis makes me feel like i think that there could be something with what they took out of the script that i would actually want to see they had this parallel storyline going on where right at the beginning of the book you meet young johnny and he starts at a young age having some strange experiences like he gets knocked unconscious he um, has a big lump on his head he mumbles this message uh, don't jump it no more that he later finds out um, you know, is there's this adult that he says it to who gets hurt while he's trying to jump start a car. And um, so we meet him at a young age and then we meet a young Greg Stilson, the politician at a young age. And throughout the book, you end up having this parallel story between Johnny as he kind of grows and becomes, uh, you know, who he is and, and goes into the coma and gets this dead zone and all that sort of stuff. And Stilson, as he journeys on his political path to becoming this, uh, this great political leader, albeit a very corrupt one. And, and then eventually those two cross, uh, paths cross. And I don't know. I, I don't know if if the story would work better or worse with that in there, but I do find it compelling to read that. And I'm like, at least that's something that I feel like would give me a a fuller story to latch onto rather than this episodic, uh, you know, 
let's solve this person's problems and then this person's problems and then this person's problems type of story. Yeah, no, I agree with you. And something that, that may have been a little bit more of an audacious uh, screenplay and an audacious film um, to, to take on something just slightly more epic. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I you know, I don't know why they why they shied away from that. When I look at, you know, what what Cronenberg was doing at the time, I mean, coming off of what, uh, you know, just looking through IMDb, Rabid Fast Company, The Brood in the late seventies, to Scanners in eighty one, Videodrome in eighty three. I hardly remember Videodrome. What even was that, was that a weird film? One. Jam was James Woods. Yeah, that was the one Debbie where he Harry. like sticks his head into the TV and has the video tape in his chest or whatever it's, it's a weird one yeah that is a weird one but then he does the dead zone which is which is sort of not weird enough given where he was and he goes back in to do the fly of course which was um i, I think fantastic yeah it's one of my favorites of his yeah it really is and and you can see over the course of his career uh, you know he has become more of a sophisticated director, I think, as he moves through his his career to, you know, more recently, you look at Cosmopolis, and, and we've talked recently about Maps to the Stars. Um, and and another one, I think you didn't like as much, A History of Violence, right? No, I, I like, like that, I like, uh, that and, uh, and uh, um, what was the one that, uh, the other one that he did with uh, Eastern Promises? Eastern Promises, Promises. Yeah, yeah. Those two, I thought, were pretty compelling films. Yeah. You didn't like Crash, though, right? Crash was just a weird film. It was a very strange story, you know, and the fact that it was kind of somewhat loosely based on uh, Ballard's own life, I thought was also kind of weird. Yeah. Yeah. That's that <laughs> hey, a little bit weird. Some people do weird things. You're more than welcome to do those weird things. <laughs> what was the one that Maggie Gyllenhaal was in? Was it Secretary? Did you see that one? Yeah, but that wasn't his. No, I know. Oh, I know. But you just, you know, when people say weird things, and then I think about Holly Hunter, and yeah, and, and I think, oh, yeah, Maggie Gyllenhaal did something weird too. I liked that movie quite a that bit. It was though. a crazy movie. It was pretty crazy. Stop. Very crazy. All right. yeah. Anyway, so you could tell he's. You can just sort of see how he's matured his weirdness, and as he's been given more money to do kind of larger films, he's you know he's made some some more interesting films. But for some reason, the Dead Zone is a weird Dead Zone for me. And looking at his films, it like doesn't fit. It's like not weird enough. It's not compelling enough. It's not like audacious enough. Um, it it doesn't tell enough. And maybe that's a function of having too many hands in the script. Maybe they just didn't get a good adaptation. And that's you know. As, as you say, maybe they just are missing a whole part of the story that would have made it something really special. Yeah, yeah, that could be. I mean, there is an interesting nature of kind of something I think, uh, I don't know if it was intentionally explored politically by Stephen King in the novel or if it's something that Cronenberg and Jeffrey Boehm were really trying to bring out in their script, but the idea of uh, like a political assassination at the end of the story and how we are on the side of the assassin and become we essentially become a part of the assassination and we essentially want him to assassinate this guy because we buy into this but everybody else in the story uh is going to think that this is just somebody killing the next great leader and i find that a very interesting aspect of the story that i i can't help but wish that was explored in a in a bigger way to make it kind of stand out a little more because I, I you know I really like that idea of us being on the side of the assassin in this situation um, and looking at it from that perspective 
when normally that's the that's the perspective we really don't you know we don't want to look at you know well, the film sort of has to earn it, don't you think? I mean, the films yeah. where we feel best about falling in love with the anti-hero, you know, or falling in love with the hero who's who's out of sync is, you know, they're the films that actually build the case where you end up, you have to feel bad. I never right. felt bad. The whole time they built a case for how bad, um, you know, uh, Stilson. Stilson was, of course, we knew he was bad. Like, they, we, we knew he was bad so early because he just smelt smarmy. Like we just knew it, uh, that there was never a point of turn where you, you have that emotional switch where you think, oh my gosh, this is where our hero is being called to his solemn duty. And now I get it. I didn't get it before this moment, but now I get it. And you sort of get that sense in this film that they wanted you to get it when they show the, the premonition of him in the room with the vice president actually putting their hands on the briefcase scanner to launch the nukes. Right. And and so that that you get the feeling that it just didn't build up to enough intensity because we already knew it was coming. Yeah. It's right. like no, I I haven't seen it, but I've seen it. Right, right. Yeah, you get a sense right away that this is just a corrupt politician. It's like right. and, and that's uh I don't know, the nature of the story, I guess, but uh it there could have been a way to make that much stronger and that's that is one of the unfortunate elements of it, but mm, I think so. Yeah. I think so, too. Uh, who else stands out? You know, I've already uh, slammed the cinematography a little bit. I just you know, feel sort of uninspired. But are there any other, uh, you know, do you have any, any take on Mark Irwin's work here? or Not really. Um, I mean, I, I, I agree with you for the most part. I think, uh, you know, the, the two elements that stand out more for me is the production design, uh, Carol Spear and Barbara Dumphy as the art director. I, I do like the production design in this. I think there's... Uh, a nice cold look all the way through. I mean, they shot this up in, in Toronto in, I guess it was a winter that, uh, that got progressively colder as they shot. So by the, uh, you know, by the time they're filming like the, the gazebo scene, it was so cold that, uh, you know, I, I think Cronenberg said it was the coldest he's ever been while he was filming this, um, outside. Uh, but all, just the look of all of it, I think, is really good. I love the look of, like, the little girl's room when he's in there. He sees the room burning up. I love the look of the house when he goes to um, – when they figure out that it's the deputy who is the serial killer and they go into their house. Just kind of like the green, the kind of the awful green throughout that house is yeah. pretty awful. Plus, like, his wallpaper is all, like, you know, cowboys and Indians. Like, he's kind of psychologically locked in his childhood. And uh, and just and then also, you know, um, they use this kind of Norman Rockwell type of feel for the kind of the town, which uh, is really highlighted in the giant billboard of Stilson outside uh, uh, outside of uh, uh, Walken's house. That's pretty funny. And I I just all of that look, I, I think all of it is really nice. And. That for me stands out a little more. Um, the, and and there's an interesting side note: the gazebo they filmed it up in in Canada in in uh, was it Niagara on the on the water or Niagara on the lake is the name of the town. Yeah. And uh, the gazebo, the town didn't want them to build it, but they told them, you know, it's just a movie thing. As soon as we're done, you guys can take it down. And the town, I guess, fell in love with it, and it's still there, and you can actually go. Uh, hang out in this gazebo that's now become like part of the town history. Oh, that's pretty funny. Just strange little, little tidbit of info, but that's you know that's something that's key. And then also, I I really do actually like the music that Michael Kamen wrote for the film. I do too. 
it's uh, he's not David Cronenberg's usual collaborator. Howard Shore is who he usually uses. Um, and Howard Shore was unavailable for this particular project. And so he went to Michael Kamen and I like it. I mean, it's, it's an interesting score to listen to. It's not uh, like by itself, it's not you know, as compelling, but in the context of the film, I think it works really well. I do too. I think it, I, I think it really does work very well. And it's one of those uh, Michael Kamen scores that I, that I like. Yeah. Even, even with the hair. <laughs> even with the hair. Yes. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It's, it is an, it's a, it's a listenable score in, yeah. for the most part. It has some really nice themes. Mm-hmm. It, it does. It really does. Mm-hmm. Very, a, very sad. There's kind of a sad tone to it that I think fits for this person who's essentially come out of this coma, coma and is lost in time because of the five years he lost, yeah. but also just lost in his place because of this weird ability that he now has and he kind of separates himself from people well you said it and it it, it, you made me think of of you know eeyore i mean this whole film is sort of the eeyore of the stephen king adaptations (laughs) oh well now i see dead people and then i stepped in poo you know i mean it's just like sad it's just really sad but not sad in like a dramatic way it's just sad yeah that's funny (laughs) anyway um, Tom, Tom Skerritt. I love. I still love Tom Tom Skerritt, even though I made fun of him earlier. I do love oh, him. It's hard to not love yeah. Tom Skerritt. He's Co- always great. Colleen Dewhurst. She's mm-hmm. briefly. She's kind of scary. She is creepy. Yeah. She's uh, got that. Uh, I don't know that crazy mom look. That, yeah. She she does well in her part. I like Anthony Anthony Zerby. I mean, he's one of those great character actors that you just see in everything. I mean, he still is out there. He was in American Hustle last year. Yeah. Uh, you know, he's just a great face and I, he's great as that rich guy. <laughs> you know, he really is. It's funny that you bring him up because I, you know, this is one of those rare films where I was actually able to talk my wife into watching with me and and um she watched the the she she missed all but there she got all but the last half hour she got bored. And which which maybe is telling. Um but uh you know the she, she saw him and said, "Wow, he looks like the bad guy." And even though he's really I mean, he's he's not. He's you know, he's ultimately not the bad guy. He's not the best dad, makes right. some weird decisions, but but he's not a bad guy. But he is a bad guy in so many movies that now I just see him as a bad guy. And I thought that was a funny point. Like he's, you know, I, I think I originally was in one of the Lethal Weapon movies I think he was in. Uh, that where, I, I think that's where I discovered him as a youth and, I don't think he was in Lethal Weapon. What was he in that was uh, not Lethal Weapon 1? Um, he was in Steel Dawn. He actually was in The Equalizer for a few episodes. Yeah. <laughs> That's um, funny. What was he in? Maybe it was... Uh, License to Kill, I think is probably what you're thinking. James Bond. Maybe that was it. Yeah, he was... Um, I can't remember who he was in that. But uh, Milton Crest... Wow, I that maybe it was licensed to kill. Um, well, it's going to make me crazy because I feel like it was something else, uh, not that. Yeah. So I'll have to think on it. Anyway, so he's just he was a, he just looks like a, a bad guy, yeah, or a corrupt does. a corrupt cop or a something. Yeah, generally corrupt, always corrupt something official. corrupt. Yeah. Yeah. You know what his first film was? 
Uh, Wild Wild West. Cool Hand Luke. Dang. <laughs> A little different. Good old right. Anthony Zerby and Anthony Herbert Loam. Yep. Herbert Loam is great. Yes. Yes, he's he been is. around forever. And uh, gosh, he just uh, he just passed away a couple years ago. But um, he had been in all the Pink Panther movies, Spartacus. He's one of those guys who just was busy. Yes, he was. And uh, and I like him in this. I mean, he his part's not huge, but I think he's effective as kind of just the the doctor. You know, it's it's a simple part, but I think he works well in it. Yeah, not a great doctor. <laughs> I mean, by standards, in context of what he actually performs, yeah, right? he's not not a great doctor, but uh, <laughs> but he's good in the role. Yes, yes. Uh, anyone else uh, that you uh, that you really that you really love? No, I think that's about it. Although, yeah. and just an interesting side note, um, the kid who takes the photos at the end in the final uh, climactic uh, scene, yeah. assassination attempt. He is actually one of the uh, the Sheen kids. He's one of Martin Sheen's kids. Hmm. He is Ramon Estevez. Keeping it in the family. Ramon right. Estevez. I, what else has he been in? Uh, not a lot. I, I you know I, I heard that he hadn't really acted much. I mean, he was in a few little things here and there, but uh, yeah, not much. He really kind of uh, nineteen credits. He he uh, he's very off and on. Very off and on. Wow. He's definitely not uh, pursuing it like his brothers are. Huh. Uh, must be a great Thanksgiving at the <laughs> Sheen house. Yes. Very interesting. <laughs> Very interesting. Yeah. Um, uh, let's see. I, I think, I mean, this is just, I'm, I'm out of stuff to talk about with this film. Yeah. The only other thing that I, I think is worth mentioning in this is that, uh, this story is the story that is the introduction to the town of Castle Rock, the fictional town of Castle Rock that Stephen King created in his uh, in this novel, and then went went on to have Castle Rock kind of be this consistent town through so many of his stories. It kind of created the foundation of it. It was Castle Rock that was was it Castle Rock that was under the dome, and Castle Rock that was is that is Castle Rock what we see in like the Gunslinger? Like I early, early uh, Castle Rock. I'm sure there are like Stephen King listeners out there who are yeah, furious are at us for know not, not knowing. A lot better. I, I, I know nothing of the lore, and I've been told that I have to read the Gunslinger to wrap everything up for me. Here it is. It's, he first appeared in The Dead Zone and has reappeared as late as his 2013 novel, Doctor Sleep. Uh, yeah, it's a, uh, it was in, let's see, works set in Castle Rock, The Dead Zone, Cujo. The Body, Uncle Otto's Truck, Mrs. Todd's Shortcut, The Dark Half, The Sundog, Needful Things, It Grows on You. And then if you look at works referring to Castle Rock, the list is very large, including Creepshow. That's true. Yeah. All right. Under the Dome refers to Castle Rock. So it is a very, very uh, busy town in the world of Stephen King. Fantastic. Mm-hmm. How did it do? How did it perform? It did okay. It uh, it wasn't as popular as uh, Cujo this year. It um, let's see. It made it cost ten million dollars to make at the time, 
and I think Cujo was what eight million. So it cost. They had a little more money with this one. Shot it up in Canada, so I imagine their uh, dollars may have gone a little farther. And uh, it ended up making uh, adjusted profit. It ended up making about $25 million adjusted profit. And Cujo is at uh, almost $31 million. So adjusted profit per finished minute for the dead zone was about $244,000 per finished minute. So, you know, it, it made its money. It did its job. Uh, film business was able to keep on trucking because of this. And uh, <laughs> You may be putting just a little bit too much weight. Uh, maybe, maybe. I, I find it so interesting that the that Rotten Tomatoes gives it a ninety percent fresh. I I am uh, I find it fascinating that people like this movie as much as they do. This, this is, is very it, it is a very popular Stephen King movie. It's I, I shouldn't say popular, but it is a very well reviewed Stephen King movie. It's a it to me it's another one of those Casablanca films. You know it's and and I love Casablanca. It's that it's that whole, you know you detest me or do you despise me? Don't you? Well, if I gave you any thought, I probably would. Uh, I, I I'm gonna forget this movie as soon as we're done with this show and probably not think of it all that fondly. Maybe not despise it, but I'm sort of done with it. Well, and and I think my tack with this one would be a little bit opposite where I, I think I'm the same. I am going to forget it right away because that's what I always do. But I think I will think of it a little more fondly. And if it's on again, I, yeah, I mean, I'll probably watch it, but it's nothing that I would seek out again. All right. All right. Fair enough. Let's rank it. Let's do it. Head over to flickchart.com slash the next reel. You can friend us up there and see if your uh, the films that you love line up with the films that we love. That's our big stack rankings over there. Now we got 150 some odd mm-hmm. films. 150 will, more than 150 films. This will make 152. Exactly. Let's do it. Let's do the it. Dead Zone or Hot Fuzz? Hot Fuzz. Clearly Hot Fuzz. The Dead Zone or Taxi Driver? I would do Taxi Driver. Uh, are you ready? I'm ready. I would do Taxi Driver. There you go. <laughs> the Dead Zone or Major League? I'd do Major League. I would too. The Dead Zone or The Blob? I'd probably do The Dead Zone. I think I would too. The Dead Zone or Labor Day? Huh. I think you're going to go Labor Day. Yeah, I, I, I'm a little torn on this one. It could go either way, but I, maybe I'll go Labor Day. I think I, I think I had a lot of problems with Labor Day. Yeah, you did. Well, I think I'm going to have to ring in Labor Day, though. All right. The Dead Zone or Key Largo? Key Largo. Bogey and Bacall. All right. Give it to them. The Dead Zone or We're No Angels? Uh, We're No Angels. I would do We're No Angels, too. The Dead Zone or Christmas in Connecticut? Aw. So sweet. I would do Christmas in Connecticut. Me, too. All right. There you are. 143 out of 152. (laughs) That's an interesting ranking for this film that... You know, we just don't think of. I I walked into this thinking that I would have it much higher in my uh, in my esteem, but then after watching the film again, I'm like, nah, 
Yeah. Meh. Meh is 143. That's what we know. All right. Uh, Hey, good talk, but where do we go from here? Well, we're going to uh, continue King in 1983, the big year for him, and we're going to jump into John Carpenter's Christine. Now, see, that one's got a 65% fresh on at Rotten Tomatoes. And what do you bet we like it more? <laughs> I'm, I'm going to bet a lot. Yeah. You know what's interesting? Stephen King, when he um, was kind of, uh, I can't remember if he was the, at the time when he was writing for Entertainment Weekly, but it was around the time that he may have started writing for Entertainment Weekly. He did a, uh, a breakdown at the time when um, The Green Mile came out back in 99, I believe, of his 10 favorite adaptations of films of, that of, have been adapted of his, uh, of his films. And Cujo was on that list of his 10. Christine was on that list of 10. The Dead Zone was not on that list. <laughs> <laughs> Surprisingly, yes. It was uh, The Green Mile, The Shawshank Redemption, Storm of the Century, uh, Cujo, Misery, Stand By Me, and uh, The Stand, Dolores Claiborne, Christine, and Pet Cemetery. Dolores Claiborne. I really liked Dolores Claiborne. Yeah, I was going to say that. I think I have fond memories of that. Yeah. Interesting. We can touch on that one in another in Stephen another King series. Another Stephen down King series. All right. Hey, Dude. this was uh, this was good. I'm, uh, but I'm not going to lose any sleep over it. Yeah, I hear you. I think our conversation was better than the film. Yes, I agree. I'll remember it always. <laughs> Whereas the film, not so. probably not. I gotta go to bed. I'm going to go into the dead zone. Okay, so I've got one uh, three-star review by True Crime Reader who says, It's okay. I bought this movie because it was the only Stephen King movie I didn't have. What does that say about True Crime Reader, I have to say? Because there's some real (laughs) stinkers in there. It was okay. I think a man would like it more than I did. (laughs) Not quite sure what True Crime Reader is saying there. A man uh, would like it more than I did. What does that even mean? I don't know. This guy was real gone for five years. He was in a coma for five years. He wakes up thinking the nurse's little girl is in a fire. He took a wrong tour somewhere. That's like uh, almost a haiku. (laughs) Feels like it. Wow, uh, I'm not sure if they finished watching the movie. <laughs> <laughs> you took a wrong tour somewhere. And scene. I've been podcasting since 2006. In that time, I've tried countless hosting platforms. But in August 2022, we switched to Transistor to power all of our shows here at True Story FM. And it's been a game changer. I love the Transistor allows unlimited podcasts and storage without extra charges. We can publish so much content. And we do. 
If you want to start up a podcast, do yourself a favor and host your show on Transistor. With their one-click publishing, you can get your new show onto all the major podcast directories effortlessly. And their website builder lets you quickly build custom sites for each show. The detailed analytics are invaluable too. You can access all kinds of listener data anytime. Oh, and the versatile players allow you to embed episodes anywhere to reach new listeners. Plus, the team behind Transistor is super responsive and keeps making the platform even better. After using countless hosting services over 15 plus years, Transistor has been hands down the best podcast partner for us. If you want a hosting platform to take all the worry out of getting your podcast out into the world, go to thenextreel.com slash transistor and check it out. Support our show and support your own show by going to thenextreel.com slash transistor. Start growing your podcast today.